welcome to Smart Mind Wine Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Christine Fitzgerald, a certified nutritionist, award-winning gymnast, and creator of Smart Mind, the first guilt-free wine that lets you unwind without undoing all of your hard-earned efforts in the health and fitness goals that you've been trying to achieve. You're welcome. This podcast is for the person who wants it all, a satisfying glass of wine, healthy body, and an active social life. And I'm here to tell you it's all possible. And I'm 100% with you, which is why this will be your favorite podcast guaranteed. When it comes to wine, know that it's not what you think it is. It's not just grapes. Most of the time it contains chemicals, fillers, added sugars, and it's not even vegan. Learn from myself and experts in the wine industry. They'll reveal what really goes on in the cellar and what's lurking in your wine. Smart Vine Wine and Wellness Podcast, I'm telling you, it's blowing the roof off and busting myths in the wine industry. From a wellness standpoint, I've worked with thousands of clients for over 20 years, so I know what works and what doesn't. You'll get personalized and proven wellness tips and tricks that are truly timeless. No fads, no gimmicks. I'll help keep you on track for your health goals with that glass of wine in hand, I promise. You may be wondering, why a nutritionist created a wine? I may even be a bit surprised that I approve of the wine while on any diet, even keto. Hello and welcome to Smart Mind Wine and Wellness Podcast. This is Christine Fitzgerald, and I have winemaker extraordinaire Steve Clifton on with me today from Santa Barbara County. He is the amazing man who makes the wine taste so delicious in a very magical way. <laughs> and we're excited to talk more about who he is and how he came to the wine industry, and again, why that bottle of Smart Vine does not have any taste of the added ingredients that keep you headache and hangover free. So with that said, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's, um, it's fun to get an opportunity to talk about this because I feel, you know, I'm really proud of, of um, what we've been able to put together together. And, right. uh, you know, some fantastic grapes. I think the first thing that needs to be recognized is, you know, is how diligent you've been with um you know eliminating the glyphosate situation and you know how much research went into finding places that were grown organically for a long enough period of time that none of those were um intruding you know that none of those were 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 um were in the in the mix and um i think that's you know the thing that that is the most impressive to me after that you know making wine's pretty fun to tell you the mm. truth, because grapes want to be wine. And then um, your formula of, of herbs, um, I don't think in any way intrudes on the wine. I think it enhances it in, in every way possible. Mm -hmm. And you have, I really appreciate those kind words, Steve, especially with someone with your background. So I would love to hear about how you got started in the wine industry and, you know, it's fascinating that you even took this project on. So let's lead up to that. Let's go into, you know, who is Steve Clifton and, and how to get to this point of making smart mind. And then, you know, not you have a free zone to brag for a little while. Yeah. I love it. I mean, come I love on. It. That's, that's, that's heaven for me. Oh, I love it. I love it. Please do. We're here to listen. Well, I moved up to, um, to Santa Barbara County in 1991 to get involved in the in the wine industry uh, mm -hmm. i had two opportunities i had one up in napa and i had one here in santa barbara and you know i'd spent enough time in both places i knew that i wanted to get involved in wine production but i'd spent enough time in, in both those places to know that santa barbara was really just burgeoning it was just you know it was ready to kind of explode there were only 24 um wineries at the time in in the early 90s and there's a little over 400 now so that can um, tell you like how much it's grown over the um you know the past um almost 30 years but um it's it really just is has grown exponentially um but at the time i thought that santa barbara offered me a lot more opportunity to do something on my own i wanted to come up here and learn I wanted to, you know, work under other people. I wanted to 
apprentice my way up to a winemaker situation. I'd already finished college and I'd studied drama and communication. So it's not exactly the same as having a, um, enology or viticultural degree, but, um, people do say that I communicate dramatically. So, um, but, uh, I, uh, I came up and I, I went to the school of hard knocks and I, I apprenticed under, um, a fantastic winemaker, a, a man named Stephen Bedford. Um, and that was at Rancho Sisquoc winery. And by 95, I had, um, I had landed my first winemaking job at Beckman Vineyards. And I continued on making wine for Brander, Domaine Santa Barbara, um, a few different wineries along the way. But I started a, um, my project Palmina, which is dedicated exclusively to Italian varietals, which was very sort of unique, especially at the time, back in 1995. And then I started a separate brand with a partner called Brewer Clifton. And we specialized exclusively in Chardonnay and Pinot Noir um, from the area that then was just the area known as um, between Buellton and Lompoc. Later, it was given a, a, an official name, the Santa Rita Hills, which has mm. become quite popular. And um, you know, two winemakers, we, we worked together um, side by side creatively for 20 years. And um, I think that's I think that's an accomplishment in itself. Um, Absolutely, two, two creative minds not killing each other. <laughs> well, there's that too. You gotta be able to uh, know who's creating what at what time, right? <laughs> exactly. And we we would write it down on a dry erase board. I did this, and um, that way the other person wouldn't do it too. Um, and that was our our whole thing was was mapped out before we started, and it it um, it really it exceeded all of our goals, all of our expectations. We ended up, we got the number six wine in the top 100 for um, Wine Spectator. And, mm. and um, we were called Robert Parker. He's a very influential wine critic. We were called his greatest revelation of the year. And, you know, things like that. Um, we, we grew it beyond the size that we had ever um, really hoped for. And we were able to sell it. And so that was a, a a fantastic achievement. So wow. uh, something I'm really proud of. Palmina continues on and I started a new brand called Lavoie that I make Chardonnay and Pinot Noir under. So um, Palmina is um, celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Which, I can't uh, believe it. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, you know, it's, it's incredible because, you know, they, they say that 90% of small businesses fail within the first 10 years. So, you know, we've, we're already two and a half times past that. So, you know, I, I figure um, they can't, they can't make us quit now. <laughs> <laughs> they can't, I mean, the business is as resilient as the business owner. <laughs> there you go. You got to get up every morning and say, yes, I can. So. Absolutely. Thank you for that whole background because it's important for people to know why someone even gets into the wine industry and the process of that because everyone has a choice in life of what makes them happy and you weren't starting with that but you found really what made you happy and that was the winemaking process so i would love to learn more about especially for the listeners what you and your partner throughout the years believed in, you know, when you first set out and said, okay, I'm going to start this winery. What were your values? What did you really not negotiate on? And I heard you speak about, you know, the glyphosate in the beginning, of course, which I appreciate. And we talked about that recently, of course, within the last couple of years of you creating smart vine um, in your cellar, but before that, you know, what's your intention with, you know, the vines, the earth, what, what's your value system that goes into every bottle? You know, that's a great question. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of veer left for a minute and then I'm going to answer more directly. But, you know, I read a book um, several years ago. Um, maybe, you know, some of you guys have read it called Love Languages, where, um, you know, different people express love to other people in different ways. Some people really love to give gifts. Some people really love to give service. 
some people really love. There's different ways to express love to someone. And some people really, the way that they receive love is different. They have a different language for it. And some people really love to receive gifts. Some people really love to receive service. And the whole, the, the, the basis of the book was finding, you know, a fit with like someone. Um, if you're a person that loves to give service, then you probably don't want to be with somebody that loves to receive gifts, vice versa, and all that. Well, I, I realized while I was reading this book that what I, the way that I show love is to literally like feed people. And mm -hmm. by feed people, I mean food, of course, but that's what I love about wine too. And, um, and I love to provide things that nourish people or that, you know, enhance their experience or that creates a memory more than I love to give like a physical thing. And, mm. uh, and so, you know, it creates interesting dynamics within re relationships and stuff, but I'm, I'm really glad that I realized that. And I think that that's the main reason that I got both into creating wine, but also creating food and the, the experiences. And so when I got into making wine, my first real principle was to, I, I had spent some time in, in Northern Italy. My sister um, was there and, and I went to visit her originally, and then I had a project there. But the attitude towards food and wine was so different. And, um, you know, and it was, there was such a conversation at the table. And that's really what the wine provided was, was um, an avenue for all this conversation. And I saw such a difference in the attitude towards alcohol in general, but wine specifically in America. And I wanted to create wines that were meant to be on the table that were meant to be um, enjoyed with friends and family and with food and i wanted them to speak of the place that they were from um, that being said once i got into production i realized that there were just arsenals of chemicals and different things additives that could be used within the winemaking process and i'm a history lover and so I, um, one of the reasons that I fell in love with wine is because it has such a long history, you know, mm. I guess basically lit, um, as far as literature's involved, goes back to Noah because the first thing that he did when he got off the ark was plant vines and start making wine. So obviously. Really? That's yeah. so neat. I just want to stop you right there just because, listeners, did you hear that? <laughs> I didn't know that. And my father's a minister. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the first. Well, he's an engineer and a minister. I mean, he has a master's in divinity, so you can't really argue with that. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I mean, that's wow. That's got him into trouble a little later. I think so. I think so. But that is really sacred, right there. I mean, that really grounds you back in ancient, ancient tradition. Yeah, and so you know, when you're thinking about it, like the history of wine is, mm. you know, at least is probably 10,000 years old, you know, mm -hmm. like the written, the known history of it. And, and so it's always been this binding sort of, you know, um, element to history. And so that that's what really like lured me and, and its connection to all of Western history was, was really enticing. But um, I wanted to bring it back to if, you know, if, if grapes have been making wine for that long, they didn't have chemicals with names that I can't pronounce back then. And there must be a way to make them as naturally as possible. And so it drove me to be far more um, involved in farming and to learn a lot more about farming. I don't mind fixing a wine if something goes wrong, but if it does go wrong and I have to fix it, then I want to fix it in the vineyard the next year so that I don't have to do anything in the cellar to fix it. Mm. So it pushes you to be a better farmer all the time because you know, you can't make, you can't make great wine out of bad grapes. And so the, the, the better that you farm all the, um, the, the original produce, the, the, the better that your product is going to be. And, and that's why I brought up the glyphosate thing, because you opened my eyes to it, you know, more than any other project, because I've been farming organically for over 10 years. And a lot of the um, vineyards that I've been farming for 10 years, still have traces you know and so that's that's the thing that i find the most interesting and the most alarming mm -hmm. right at the same time and people 
need to understand that glyphosate has been with us for a long time. I remember as a nutritionist uh, over, well, I've been a nutritionist for over 20 years, but within that time period, educating people about the harms of glyphosate, and then it just started trickling into our food system more and more and more. And, you know, it takes it something like that to really come, unfortunately, onto the TV, you know, shocking, alarming, you know, kind of in people's faces say, whoa, what is that? Or, you know, why did this harm this person? Or why is there a lawsuit against this person? Or, or what do you mean it's in my child's cereal? Or, you know, what, and then the whole concept just keeps growing, especially in a parent's mind, because you're trying to protect your children, right? You do the best you can with what they eat and, you know, what you're given and your information, but it transfers to everything because we drink the wine, right? So whatever you put in your body has some kind of great effect or adverse, you know, effect. And we have to pay attention to that. It is fascinating that vines are so sacred and so wonderful that they work like the human body. I was talking with Karen from Buttonwood. We had a nice conversation and she was explaining that, you know, if there's a deficiency in the vine, they test for that and they correct the deficiency instead of giving it glyphosate or giving it a, a chemical or, you know, like a pharmaceutical, right. like they would. She said, you know, it's okay, well, we test it, it's deficient in magnesium. So we'll give the plant magnesium or, or the vine or, we'll, you know, add silica mineral rich around that vine so it becomes stronger and healthier and just like a human being instead of just constantly just putting band-aids on it and it was just a phenomenal way to look at exactly what you're talking about it you know that match with you being part of the earth and all the way from that through to the cellar it makes all the difference i totally agree and you know it's it what's interesting is with almost every um deficiency like that with you know anything that you do in addition like magnesium or calcium or something like that there's usually a catalyst too and then that becomes this whole other side topic of if you're deficient in this something activates it in your body you know like you can eat broccoli but it the calcium's more activated if you use lemon with it you right. know and and it's all these different like pieces that that work together and wine's the exact same way if you're if you're um if your vines are are um deficient in potassium or um, in magnesium. There are also different um, grasses and legumes that you can sow down the middle of the row. And that's the only fertilization that we do. Um, and I know that it's the only thing that Buttonwood does as well to, to add like specific um, like fertilizers to the soil. You mm. grow something that gives the soil that and then you mow it and mulch it and it goes back into the soil and it gives it that. And so there's this symbiosis, you know, that goes on with different plants and they're catalysts for all the things that both the plant needs and that we need too. And we've so, that's beautifully said, and we've so gotten away from that in this world of adding a ton of chemicals into our soil that there aren't any nutrient dense soils anymore. We wonder why our food is so depleted, but the soil has nothing left. We really lost the tradition of our ancient farming. And it's not even that ancient, maybe it's just two generations ago. Just rotation and, and the natural sense of it, you know, that things are mm -hmm. seasonal and that they need to rotate in those seasons. And when you try to, to force things out of their norm, then you know you're going to have other repercussions yeah. consequences mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. absolutely and that goes back to what you were saying you know you can't have basically a not so well taken care of vineyard with a lot of chemicals and expect it to turn into great tasting wine so <laughs> yeah. know, wine is absolutely delicious so it goes back to of course what you were just saying and how button cares for the grapes that you know smart vine gets so let's jump there and Talk to me about how, when you receive the grapes or the juice from Buttonwood, what's the next process with the Smart Vine wine? So um, fermentation ha happens totally naturally. We have a, a great sort of ambient yeast culture that, that, um, that happens within our environment. And, you know, yeast is this totally um, ambient sort of source um, regardless. And so we just let fermentations happen naturally. So, you know, what that means is that um, 
yeast ambiently is introduced to the juice or the or the grapes and and um so from there the yeast starts starts um using the sugar to and converting it to alcohol and so the yeast is constantly sort of digesting and and changing the sugar into alcohol and when that's complete then the wine the you know we don't no longer have grapes or grape juice we have we have wine and um and there are other um bacterial fermentations that happen as well secondary fermentation changing malic acid to lactic acid but it all happens so naturally and and so um just it's eventless you know what i mean i mean there are wonderful smells that come from it and and you mm. want to make sure that everything is in as clean of an environment as possible and that allows all the beneficial um yeast and bacteria to to do its work and you know not introduce anything that's um that's detrimental mm -hmm. so that's the first thing and so um your the white wines are, are done in stainless steel and so it literally is a matter of leaving the um the tank open for about 24 hours for the yeast to be introduced to it and after that it's it's all a slow temperature controlled fermentation that's you know monitored and and um and measured and and all that daily and so everything's just being sort of um pampered and taken care of you know and and monitored to make sure that everything's going in a positive direction with red wines it's different the, the grapes they get taken off of their stem and they go into a um a one and a half ton fermenter, a, a large wooden box, and um, they're exposed for about 24 hours just to the ambient yeast cultures, and it kicks off a fermentation. They're then stirred, or what we call punched down. They're punched down twice a day, and um, and that way it incorporates the the skins back into all the juice, and doing that. Um, allows for extraction of, of color and of mm -hmm. tannin. And so, you know, all of the, a lot of the flavor, all of the color, and then um, a lot of the texture. And, um, and to me, that's one of the most important parts of the whole process is, is mouthfeel and texture come from the skins in red wine. So what's always interesting to me, and some people don't, don't um, know this immediately, is that white wines are made from juice you bring the grapes in you press the juice out immediately and then you're just fermenting juice but red wines are fermented as berries and so you're you're taking full advantage of the color and the tannin that's in the skins of the berries and so you don't actually press the wine off until it's wine where with white grapes you press off the juice while it's still juice. Wow, completely different ways. Completely, I mean, they're, they're polar. And um, so, you know, the tannin in red wine is that feeling of, um, you know, if you've ever had a, a cup of tea and you leave the bag in the cup of tea and you forget about it and it sits on the counter for a while and you realize, oh, wow, that tea bag's been in there for about three hours. And, it's cold now and you take a sip of it just to see what it tastes like. And although it's a liquid you're putting in your mouth, it completely dries your palate. <laughs> and that drying effect is tannin and the tannins in wine are very, very similar to tea tannins. And so the two sources of tannin that you have in wine are the grape skins. Well, the three sources, you have grape skins, you have grape seeds and you have the barrels that you put the wine into. And they're always oak and they extract um, tannin from the wood as well. And so that's what gives red wine that additional texture on your palate that kind of pulls the wine across your palate. That was beautifully said. I mean, it was like a lyric in a, in a music. <laughs> I mean, if I even said that correctly, I mean, it just, it's a song. It's really a song. It's just beautiful. I, I've thought about it probably. It works. I have no other words for that. 
I love it. And it, it's such great descriptive words because we can really be transported there and feel it and and taste it and understand it. Great analogy with the tea bag for sure. I think we've all done that. Yeah. And you know, that to me is kind of the essence of what I've wanted to do with wine since, you know, since I started is I've wanted to eliminate a lot of the um, intimidation. You know, I think that wine has been given this mystique for such a long time that people are, are, you know, they have, sometimes they avoid the wine list and they avoid making choices and they avoid um, taking risks with it because for some reason there's this um, insinuation that um, if you don't know a lot about wine, then, you know, then you know, don't even try. And the thing is, it's a beverage and it's supposed mm -hmm. to it's supposed to make every meal better, better, you know, like it's supposed to help mark a meal to make memories, you know, mm. the, with food, it's, it's always interesting because you're going to have another meal in about six hours, you know, if you're awake. So, but with wine, you can actually say, we had a bottle of, and then quote the year, quote the piece of land that it came from, quote the producer that made it they're, they're little markers that help make a memory because otherwise 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 everything about the experience would be kind of transient and i really don't want people to get away from that i love how you said that i don't know if people really think about that when they go to a restaurant or they pick up a bottle off a shelf but those are definitely things to consider and understand that it is for the memory and you know i don't know much about the wine industry. I'm learning so much as I go along here. Being a nutritionist that created wine isn't very normal. <laughs> <laughs> Not how it works, right? But it was this pull to get people back to, you know, whatever you put in your body, it needs to do something for you optimally. And I think part of that is the experience. A lot of it is, and it's giving your body this experience because all we have on this planet are connections and moments. Yep. Exactly. That's what we remember that's what we feel that's what we live by connections and moments and if you're not making those life is pretty meaningless and it's sad when that happens because this is our one shot it's exactly right it's and you know it's 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 almost like um not fulfilling your you know your full self if mm -hmm. you're not doing that you know and, and um putting together all the pieces that that go along and mm -hmm. you know, and so you know i think it's always you know important to remember wine separate from beer and spirits and all that sort of thing because um in its essence it's a um digestive or it's a digestivo or a, you know it's something that um aids in the digestion of the food that you're eating and so you know, I think it's 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 gotten out of context for so so many years that you know each sip of wine is supposed to clean your palate and and set you up for the next bite of the food, and each bite of food is supposed to like be enhanced by the fact that you have a sip of wine that cleanses your palate for the next bite, and so they work together hand in hand, you know. And it's, it's not simply a beverage by itself that stands alone. And I, th I think that what's happened with wine over the past few decades is that, you know, people look for something bigger and more bombastic all the time and they give it scores and it, um, and it gets out of the context of the table. And, um, you know, and then you're drinking wine with wine, which I think is, is exactly the wrong context. I think that wine goes with food. And when you keep it in that context, it's something that enhances your, your, your body's um, natural process instead mm -hmm. of it being something that gives you a hangover. I love that. I have never even thought of it that way. And that tradition, it seems like has been lost, at least with the arena that I'm in, right? We want healthy wine. We don't want to cause the side effects but the tradition of how it's supposed to be ingested, which goes back to how herbs are supposed to be taken, whether topically, internally, in liquid form, in oil form, 
there is a science and a mechanism and a holistic way of all these pieces from the earth to go into our bodies in a way that will enliven us and allow us to have that experience that we should have and elevate those experiences of eating. And that's the other part. I mean, we're such in a fast paced society. Everyone can agree that unless it's Saturday and, you know, the kids are in bed or whatever it is, you don't have that time to say, okay, it's almost like you have to put on a schedule tonight. I'm going to have a sip of wine, eat a bite of food, have a sip of wine, <laughs> eat a bite of food. Right, exactly. You have to put it in your schedule and basically relearn. Slow down enough in order to do this. enjoy the time and, and to relax enough into it that your body accepts it in the correct way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that brings up something very interesting with the headache and hangover. I know that with my wine, we haven't had any customers that have that reaction. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because you had mentioned that with the headache, is it the way that people are ingesting wine that you think is giving them that or the added, um, like stopping the fermentation earlier, you know, and having a lot more sugar in it? Is it some of the chemical additives that may go in from mass producers? What's your take on that? Well, I have to, you know, I, I want to be completely honest. When we started the project, I wanted to, I wanted to prove it to myself and I, I was highly skeptical to be honest. I just want to be as upfront as I possibly can. <laughs> so I did my own research and just, and you know, um, on this situation. And I have a fairly high tolerance because I've been in the wine industry for, you know, over 30 years now. But um, I decided I was just going to sit down to a bottle of your wine and, and, um, and see where it took me. And I have to say, I had no adverse effect at all. And, and I would if I was drinking something that didn't have the, um, those herbal additions to it. And I don't have any scientific answer for that or, or mm. um, you know, um, I don't have a, an explanation for it. But I know that um, I didn't have any adverse effect at all. And so I was really pleased because it, it just it pushed me forward in, in the project. And so mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, that's, that's about as, as deep as I can go on the, on the scientific proof of it. But I think it goes back to what we were talking about before with, um, with catalysts, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes um, like for instance, a, a catalyst can cause a reaction and a catalyst can also buffer a reaction. And I have a feeling that what you've put together with the four different herbs is a catalyst that buffers the, re the reaction of the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's the closest explanation that I can get to is that somehow the combination of those four different things buffer those adverse effects, you know? And I think if anybody drank three bottles of your wine, they might have an adverse effect as, you know, as you would with, that amount of alcohol in any context, but I don't know. I, I'm not going right. to, I'm not go with that kind of research. So. Right. <laughs> right. And some people are willing, you know, and they tell me later about it and that's great, but because I found it at events and I appreciate you saying all of that at events, I found that people would, you know, if they're multiple day events, they would come and they would try the wine and get a bottle whatever. And then I go, I didn't believe you, you know, so I drink the whole bottle. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I have to admit to you kind of in secret that I drank the whole bottle and I got up and did my spin class or played with the kids all day and I felt great. I didn't have a headache. I was as if I didn't have a full bottle of wine. And that's exactly what I experienced. Exactly. Well, and I love that. I love that because it's really about how we can optimize our lives. And if we want to enjoy something like wine, which I think is fantastic and should be a part of everyone's life. I mean, especially if it's made the way that you make it. Um, it shouldn't affect us in that regard. It really shouldn't. It should be part of our health regime. Why not? Absolutely. If it's done correctly. And the beverage industry, at least in my mind, is what you're saying. The wine basically has been, I should say, is starting to match it, it seems like, with mass production and what can we add to it to enhance it and trying to keep it the same you know taste on the palate every single time and this kind of 
kind of sugar higher addiction that we have and it puts a bad taste in your mouth you know no pun intended with the wine industry when it's really not that way on a big scale it's just if you're getting the two buck chuck if you're mm -hmm. and that have lots of chemicals in them you know right and there are chemicals that can be used in wine and i'm not exaggerating where i have to get a state license and i have to wear a hazmat suit in order to put it into the wine and mm. you know and it kills like everything microbial in the wine why would i possibly put that into my wine if i'm going to ingest that into my body you know and and the argument is that it metabolizes out but i you know th there's plenty of research that's been done that said that glyphosate they're safe right and and we mm -hmm. all know that they're not but you know the companies can can back up all their claims with all this research and the same is true for the the chemicals that can go into wine and i think it's i i'm a huge advocate for ingredient lists on wine because mine would end up saying grapes you know and and for your wine it would end up saying grapes and your four different herbs you know right. and that would be the entire um ingredient list with trace amounts of SO2 just to preserve it and, um, you know, make sure it doesn't go brown or something. But, um, mm -hmm. but that would be the entire list. And a lot of other wine companies, and especially some of the larger ones, are really, really adverse to there being ingredient lists on wines because they know that they use things that would frighten people, you know? And, and I can, there's, a, there's one specific um chemical that's used and when i when i have wines that have that chemical and karen's the same way by the way but when we have wines that have that chemical in it we have really negative reactions in our body tightness in our in our muscles and joints and a feeling like a truck hit you you know and, and i'm not talking about hangover it could be a single glass mm. and it feels as though you just lost all of your energy and uh, but that that specific chemical is used by probably 60 percent of the producers you know around the world and um and so you have to look for things that are more naturally farmed and more naturally made you know to avoid it is that the velcrin it is exactly yeah, yeah the velcrin because I was researching that before, and it's also in a lot of sport drinks, and I don't know why it's in sport drinks. You know, I stability. You know, stability. Right. I was just going to ask you so stability of it, but people have joint aches and pains. I mean, you're talking to what is probably the most common problem people have in their 30s now, 30s, 40s. Oh, I'm getting old. I have these aches and pains where I feel stiff or I just feel like my energy is drained. So yeah, and it could be something that you're ingesting, you know? Right. The wine every night, every single night, the wine you're, you're drinking every night. It's a compound effect. And a sport drink, you think, you know, people almost have the idea that when you drink a sport sport drink that it's healthy for them, you know, and and a lot of them are for sure. But for it to be in something like that, something where you're actually using your body and 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 really like taxing your joints and all that and for it to be something that could have that effect on you is is you know it's just wrong it's frightening it is frightening and it it's just like the wine industry though I mean, especially for what you're saying wine is life-giving it absolutely should alive, be alive right it's alive and we are alive we need to be taking in food that is alive and liquid that is alive if we want to basically i mean we're energetic beings so it goes back it goes both ways right that's ex exactly the point and you know there's been this long long like held myth in the wine industry that grapevines need to struggle in order to make the best wine and and it's this thing it's been marketed for centuries um because it, and the marketing started in places that were marginal for for growing grapes and I decided when I went into this that I would never grow grapes in that way, that healthy vines create healthy grapes and healthy grapes create healthy wines. And thankfully, I have a vineyard foreman 
that thinks in a really energetic way. And, and, you know, he also consults to Buttonwood. So he's a part of that whole piece, but Francisco can walk through a vineyard and he can tell that the energy that the vineyard's giving off and whether or not it's going to be somewhere, you know, positive to, to make wine. And I firmly believe that, you know, the healthier you can make your vineyard, the healthier the grapes are going to be, the more resistant that the vines are going to be toward any sort of malady and the less chemicals you're going to have to use in any form, whether they're organic or not. So if you can create the healthiest vines possible, they're not going to need any assistance from any sort of, you know, outside um, product. And that's what you're, for me, that's the ultimate thing to strive for are grapes that are grown in the healthiest possible organic fashion. And then wines that are produced from those grapes in the, in the least, in the most minimal, least intervention sort of um, process possible so that you can get that energy, that life energy from the grapes into your glass. Right, exactly. And into your body. I mean, I'm right with you. That's, you're basically speaking about a human being as well in the way that they treat their body and what they get out of it. And being able to be on the least amount of medication, if not zero, because there, there's no interference that's needed because you've built such a strong vessel, resilient and resistant. I mean, just the vine is the same principles that we should be applying to our own lives. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, it's I mean, exactly that it's a symbiotic relationship. It's exactly the same principles. And we are so far removed from that. Well, that's what's interesting about farming grapes is that you're constantly reminded of season, you know, mm. In, in January, February, you're pruning and everything is, is kind of in a resting mode. You know, it's, it's kind of in a dormant sort of period. And then by the beginning of spring, you've got buds breaking out and, and you know, new growth that's happening and you're watching it. And then by summer, you're seeing that growth, but you're also seeing it produce something, which is the fruit that, you know, is starting to flower. And then once pollinated, it's becoming like actual fruit. And in the fall, you've got that fruit coming to fruition and you're, you're harvesting it and you're, you know, you're starting to make the, start the process of, of making wine. And so it starts making you realize that you need to live your life in that same sort of way. You know, there, there needs to be dormant periods. You need, you need a sufficient amount of rest. There's a, there's a new growth sort of um, period. There's the, um, there's the period where you start producing something and then there's the part where there's harvest, you know, and you need to eat foods that are, in my opinion, um, you need to eat foods that are seasonal in that way. Your body, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't want a tomato in um, at Christmas, you know, on the, uh, on the, on your Christmas table, you know, it, it wants tomatoes when they're in full ripeness and bloom and in, in your, you know, in your garden or at the farmer's market. And when there's not that, there are other things that are giving you all that nutrition and, and your body kind of wants to work in cycles that way rather mm -hmm. than have whatever is available, you know? We're just trained that way and you hit the nail on the head there. If we can just go back to eating seasonally, we will start to get closer to the earth as far as understand how the earth works and how we're so connected and there's so much more to that so much more to that and that was just beautiful the way that you said that so thank you for getting us on that journey because i think that all these things are so forgotten and we've been able to slow down at this time for not the best reasons but there is a lot of positivity as far as really needing to stop and pay attention and just look at things in a completely different way because you're forced to. Is this okay with me? Is this, you know, how I want to eat? Is this how I want to live? Is my environment okay with me? Is it toxic? Is it not? Do I need to clear things out? Do I need to make sure my house is mold free? Do I need to start a garden and reconnect with the soil? I, you know, it's exactly. And, and I think that short-term habits can mask so dramatically 
what the sort of long-term memory or, or like muscle memory is in your body, you know, because mm. if you can, if you can get back to the clean, it starts tasting better than the toxic. But when you, when you do the toxic for instant gratification, obviously it tastes a lot better, you know, but um, if you can, you know, if, if I know in my life, the times that I've, you know, had my body the cleanest it could be, then only clean things really felt good and tasted good. And other times you give in to those, you know, instant gratification toxins, and that might be salty, it might be fatty, it might be sugary, it might be, you know, any one of those things, it might be processed, it, all those, you know, different things. But they keep us from remembering how good something straight from the earth tastes, you know, and, and a vegetable straight out of a, you know, organic farm or something, same day it's picked, has life in it more than something that came from a faraway country, you know, that's been under nitrogen for the last like 20 days in order to be pretty for the, for the grocery store today. And that's it, also something that people may not know. Absolutely. And that's just going back to wine as we finish up here. When people try Smart Vine, for example, they can't believe how clean they don't have any other word for it. How clean, how fresh, how light. It's not like any wine that they've been drinking. If they've been you know, drinking, you know, Tupac Chuck or going to, you know, Napa or Sonoma because those are highly pesticided, unfortunately, those vineyards and they don't end up feeling good that day. You know, they have to take antihistamines or they have to, I have women tell me they have to wear different shoes that really allow their feet to swell. Right. Oh, to play. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they have to do to just have a day out, you know, in the vineyard. But they, it is, yeah, it's a difference with that flavor of, okay, well, this is more artificial wine. And then this is real wine. They say, well, what do you do to it to make it taste like this? <laughs> I don't do anything or the winemaker doesn't do anything. This is how it is, especially because the herbal infusion that's added, as you can attested because you do it is liquid but Absolutely. it doesn't add any kind of flavor notes to the grape correct and the solids are completely removed right um you know both through gravity and then through light filtration and so it's just this essence that's left in it of those four herbs you know mm -hmm. it's the critical critical essence absolutely and it's just, I don't know why I'm so amazed by that. I think it's because I haven't drank a lot of wine in my life, having been, you know, a gymnast and keeping the body clean and all these things. Yeah. It's just, um, you think, why, why do I need to consume that? But with the more I've learned and obviously creating this wine, there's such a dichotomy and the same thing in the food world. And it's exactly what you just pinpointed. So thank you for, Again, another great analogy is just such a reminder on so many different levels that things taste the way they taste for a reason. Yeah, and a lot of it's our conditioning and our own, you know, sort of thought processes behind it. And, um, you know, I just applaud anybody that's, that's really striving for health and, and finding that, um, that place where living things taste great, you know? Right. And, uh, <laughs> Why does this taste different? Uh, from a farmer's market, they look and taste different completely than the eggs you know, in the store. I mean, you can go back and forth with that, but you just can't deny that. So again, just a, a great reminder to people, shop locally, understand your seasons, eat seasonally, start your own garden, drink wine from a vineyard that you have researched and looked into and value it and understand like from someone like Steve, I mean, your whole being goes into the creation of these wines and for great reason that we've discussed. This has been a blast. I've really, really enjoyed this talk. It's, it's, it's brought a lot of things to the kind of forefront of my thoughts and it's been inspiring for me. So I really appreciate this opportunity. Oh my gosh. Thank, thank you so much, Steve, for being on. I just, lastly, I would love for people to know where they can come taste your wines as well as Smart Vine and how they can get more information about you so that obviously they know where to go 
If they don't want to go to Napa or Sonoma around here, they can head down to Southern California and have a whole new viewpoint. Absolutely. And like <laughs> I said, we have 400 wineries here now. And, you know, I, I opened my first tasting room in the, um, in the beautiful city of Lompoc back in uh, 2000, 2004. Wow. So it's been 16 years. But we have a, a, um, we have a tasting room in Lompoc that's located in what's romantically known as the wine ghetto, um, which has been uh, kind of a draw for, well, at least 16 years now. But we've just opened a brand new tasting room in the, a really beautiful little city called Los Olivos. If anybody knows it, it's north of Santa Barbara, about 30 miles. It's near Solvang. And Los Olivos is a, just one of the quaintest little um, old California Western towns. It's got um, quite a few winery tasting rooms there. So it's a great place to just park and, and taste a lot of different things that Santa Barbara has to offer. But we're right on Grand Street, 2982 Grand Street. And um, if they go to the Palmina Wines website, it's uh, palminawines.com, P-A-L-M-I-N-A, wines.com. Um, they can get all the directions to, our, um, to both of our tasting rooms. And um, I would love to have Smartvine there for people to taste and, and be able to um, you know, have a, a flavor for. And then uh, I know that you guys have a great shipping situation that you can get all the wines to everybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. I just want to give you a big virtual hug. I, I'm so appreciative and inspired by you. And I know you've inspired the listeners. And it's so important that we talk about this because we've got to be in the healthiest state as we can possibly be right now. And this is just great in general, great practices for the rest of our lives. If we want to live to be whatever age and be able to really enjoy our lives instead of just, you know, take medications and hope the pain goes away. It is truly learning how to live. So thank you for being a part of that. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure and thank you. And big hugs back and love to everybody. And um, remember to laugh. <laughs> I love it, Steve. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.